0: All right, guys, go ahead, keep getting your coffee and make your way back. Hi, good work. My name's Kevin, I'm one of the pastor elders here, and it's a joy to be with you guys. Um, I definitely want to reiterate what Alex and Tiffany mentioned before, just we're a week and a half out from chaos and some even less than that, and we really do want you to know that it's okay to not be okay. Um, That if depending on the state that you're in or people around you, we know that things are nutty. And so um, one of the things we try and fight against, even though it's really, really hard, is coming in here and slapping a face on, pretending that everything's fine, if it's not. And so uh, we just want to give you full permission to be uh, you. Um, And also we want to be lifting each other's eyes up, even in the midst of the challenge. And so we're glad that you're here, glad that we get to point one another back to Jesus. I don't know about you singing especially that third song together, um, it just felt like there was a uniting of our hearts together around what matters most, uh, and that's in person of Jesus. And so we're here to worship him this morning, we're here to be encouraged by him, to be comforted, uh, and to uh, engage with each other as well. So, uh, and with that, if, if there are things going on we do, just invite you guys to share with us uh, those needs so that we can help. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but there is a little bit of a a desire to help out, but not sure how to help, Um, what the best way is and how to go about that. It's really challenging. And so uh, with our community group leaders, we shared a handful of ways in which you can engage, which you can help out. Uh, And there's some resources available if you're looking to help. Uh, But up front, I do just want to point out that really uh, one of the best things that we can do at at the beginning, and there's other ways as well, but is, is to remember that you are a son and daughter of Jesus, and that means that the peace of Christ goes with you wherever you go. And so engage with people, talk with people, ask people questions, how are you, what's going on? And don't uh, tell everybody like, oh, in time, everything's gonna be better, and don't tell people like, oh, you know, there's so much more to life than possessions, or oh, whatever, just listen to people. Be ready to hear, offer a helping hand, uh, and as we'll see in a minute, let, let, us, let us be what we're going to talk about today, compassion and gracious to those who are around us in this time. This morning, we are going to continue our series in God Has a Name. Uh, our first week, we, we learned what God's name is, that he has a name, that it's not actually God, that God is a title, uh, but he has a name. Anybody, what, what's God's name? Yahweh. Uh, And for those of you guys, I had a few people who asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, they said, hey, can you put some things on the screen so that if you're a note taker that you know how to write them down or things like that. And so there'll be a few names that pop up on screen. In fact, we can pull up the first one right now, that if you're a note taker and you're wondering how to write Yahweh, because it sounds funny, uh, the two common ways in which it's written is Y-A-H-W-A-H or capital Y-H-W-H, and that's I am. Or I will be who I will be. We learned a couple weeks ago uh, that God had this in Exodus 34, this is God's self disclosure of who He is. And so when we started the series, one of our desires in the series is that we would begin to go on a journey of understanding and believing who God says He is. Uh, And so we started with Yahweh, God gives us his name, Yahweh, it's a a name in which we can know him by. We ultimately walked through the scriptures together and see how Jesus himself claims to be Yahweh, uh, that this is one of the reasons, the chief reason in which people are wanting to stone him and kill him is because he claims to be Yahweh. And so we walked through that together. And then this last week, uh, in the midst of tragedy, we highlighted uh, part of, this verse in Exodus 34 that we're going through about how God or Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, He is a God of all gods. Uh, we highlighted the fact that God is not just the only spiritual being that exists, that we often have a way of thinking about in our Western culture, that there is only one God and there's true that there's only one Yahweh. But what we saw and mentioned last week and that there's, a, there's actually a podcast that we posted uh, in the middle of the week uh, that we invite you guys to go back and listen to that talks about how God is above all other gods. Uh, and it's important for us to understand we walk through Ephesians 6 together and putting on the armor of God and that this is not a battle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and powers, rulers and authorities. Those are all spiritual heavenly beings. And so we, we want to make sure that you guys go back and take a listen to that. But the big point of Uh, What we were trying to get at last week is that God is the God above all other gods, and so that word for God that we find in Scripture is Elohim, and that can mean God, as in Yahweh, or that can mean, uh, lowercase g, gods. Okay. So this morning, we're jumping further into the discussion, uh, and further into the description of who and what Yahweh is what he is like, and here we're getting into the first uh, kind of really descriptive terms of how God describes himself to us. And so I want us to get in the practice of reading aloud together. It's something that we haven't done much, but has been practiced throughout centuries of reading scripture together. So we're going to start by reading Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 together. So if we could pull that up, we'll read it along together. Uh, And here's the deal. Anytime we see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, instead of you saying Lord, I just want us to practice saying Yahweh. Uh, And so where you see Lord there, we're going to insert Yahweh instead. And so uh, so like when we get to the Lord, the Lord, just so we're all clear, uh, we're just going to say Yahweh, Yahweh, okay? Instead of saying the Lord, the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. So we'll start together. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed. Father, we are so grateful to be here together this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to dig deep into who you are. And Lord, we just thank you at the beginning that you are a personal God. That as as Yahweh, creator God, God above all gods, you have always eternally desired to be in relationship and you have been in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you created us in your image to be in relationship, not just with each other, but with you. So we thank you that you are a relational God. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds and wills that are ready to respond and turn by the prompting of your spirit. We invite you to be with us as well. Lord, you know us and what's going on in us, our fears, our failures, our anxieties, all of it. We thank you that you know, and we thank you that you welcome us to your home and into your arms. So as your sons and daughters, we just say we want to learn from you today, and we ask and invite you into this space. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this series, we have a couple goals that we want to see take place. And every time we get together, we're going to first look and see how God reveals himself here in Exodus 34. And if you were here with us during the last two weeks, we mentioned that Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, they are the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. And so bits and pieces of Exodus 34 are legitimately scattered all throughout Scripture, and so we're going to take time every week to, to kind of understand it in Exodus 34, and we're going to unpack the Hebrew words a bit. And then we're going to want to see how God's, God continues to reveal himself in the Hebrew scriptures, not just in Exodus 34. So we're going to generally take a, a step out of Exodus 34 into another part of the Hebrew scriptures. And then we're going to finally see how Jesus himself continues to reuse these character traits and these statements out of Exodus 34 as God is self-disclosing who he is, and we're going to look and see how Jesus talks about Yahweh and how he demonstrates who Yahweh is. So for us, as we are diving into these next two words, a little context for us, this event is taking place in modern-day Saudi Arabia at the base of Mount Sinai, approximately 1500 B.C., and this is God's self-disclosure of who he is to Moses and his people. Yahweh, Yahweh. Elohim That's what he said so far. I am creator God. God above all other gods. And now he starts to get into the essence of who he is. He doesn't just say, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, sometimes the statement I am can maybe be a little confusing. There's something about that that doesn't always feel super helpful, may even seem a little bit vague. This idea, I will be who I will be. And it's like, okay, that's awesome, but who, who is that? <laughs> like, who, like, what is that going to look like? And I'm just so grateful that God, in his self-disclosure to us of who he is, he expounds upon that. And this is where we really start getting into the pieces where God expounds upon, what does that look like? What will, how and why should I be excited that he will be who he will be? Because depending upon what comes next, will depend on whether or not I'm excited about the type of God that he is. And so the two words that we're looking at this morning is God continues to reveal who he is. And he starts out. That I am Yahweh, Yahweh. God above all are gods. And I am compassionate and gracious. This is the first thing he says about himself after he he sets the tone of his eternality, the creator, above all other gods. He's compassionate and gracious. Most of us, because we've grown up in a monotheistic worldview, meaning that we, we primarily, by and large in the West, we believe that there is one God. Because of that, most of us don't have an issue. This isn't shocking to me that God is compassionate and gracious. Most of us in our culture and in the West, we have seen and been it's been drilled into us, God, what's you? What does he do? God loves you. Jesus loves me. I know it's for the Bible tells me so. However, in the place and time that he's writing this, and if you happen to live where the majority of the world lives in a polytheistic or a universal viewpoint when it comes to who God is, this statement that God is compassionate and gracious would not seem normal. This would be weird. Not only would it be weird, it would potentially be weak. In places like Nepal, in which i visited a number of times, the Hindu is the primary belief structure that exists there, and there are legitimately thousands and thousands of gods that they worship. And every time I talk to somebody about these gods, never once did they describe any of their gods as loving. That has never been the first thing that they said. And we ask, well, why do you worship them? Well, because I'm scared. I'm scared that they might hurt my children. Or I'm scared that that they might take my job away. Or... Why do I worship them? Because I believe that if I worship them, they will give me what I want. This is the way the majority of the world that do not believe in Yahweh interact with gods. So when God comes out in his opening statement and disclosing himself to his people, describing first and foremost compassionate, and gracious, in essence, if, this would, if, if it was somebody who was chiefly concerned about power, if it was chiefly somebody who was concerned about making somebody do what they wanted them to do, this would probably be the wrong move. And yet God can't help it. Because this is who he is. He is compassionate and gracious at the core of his identity. And this continues to set him apart from all the other gods that exist. Let's dive into these two words a little bit. The, the first word, compassionate, that you saw up on the screen just a second ago. This is rakum. Uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so a lot of times in Hebrew when you see like it says ra, it sounds, looks like rahum, but it's really like rahum. Uh, and so uh, this word means uh, gracious, or excuse me, this word means merciful or compassionate. Uh, the root word is raku, uh, which is uh, the female womb. Again, it's often translated merciful. And I want us to look at this for a A couple minutes. Psalm 103 says this, starting in verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful, or raccoon, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This sounds a lot like Exodus 34, right? And then further down, it uses the same word, but in a context that maybe even makes some of us a little bit uncomfortable. It says, As a father shows raccoon, or compassion, to his children, so the Lord shows rakhum or compassion, to those who fear him. What we get as we begin to understand this is that the way a mother or father feels toward a child is the way that God feels about you. She rakhum is a feeling word. It's a motive, it's connective, it is not disconnected. it is connected. Rakum is a, a feeling word, and it's important for us to understand this because oftentimes we do not view we don't have a view of God that that is almost first and foremost that involves feeling. I think more often than not, and we don't want to say this out loud, but we have a viewpoint that 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 we constantly. <laughs> Let dictate our view of God before him and that, that God is, um, uh, that he's calculated. And I'm not saying that God is not in control, but I just want to go in God's self-disclosure to us. As he's revealing who he is to his people, to his chief creation. He's starting by saying, I'm compassionate. I am connected, I feel, I know, I empathize. Oftentimes, this is not the first thing that we begin to think about when we think about God. I'm a bit of a feeler. A number of you know this about me. I can get a little emotional here and there. Uh, But it's important that we understand this about God. So often we remove the compassionate side of God, or we say compassion as like a, a stamp to put on things, rather than something that's actually emotional, that's genuine, that's connected. I love that picture of the way, the father, a, way a father or a child thinks about their daughter. God thinks about you. He has compa- just as a father or a mother has compassion over their kids, that's the way God thinks about you. Uh, I've got four kids, and my youngest is named Oliver. He's two. He's awesome and awful. Um, uh, and just last night, uh, the rest of the family, we were all like, we had like just a, we were having a fun time out in the front. The, Keely and the kids had worked out, and so the kids were kind of like wrestling and playing around on the, on the carpet in our living room, and we were just having like a fun time together. Keely was like snuggled up next to me, and we were just like watching the kids play, no electronics on or anything. It was great. And then all of a sudden, we're like, where's Oliver? And instantly, there's a moment of dread. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. Oh, gosh. And then we, one of our kids finds him in our bedroom, and they're like, no! <laughs> and, uh, and then we walked back, and we realized that Oliver had found a bag of toothbrushes and toothpaste, and he had gone ahead to uh, fully squeeze out a whole thing of toothpaste on our bed, <coughs> on... And our bed, shockingly, our bed wasn't made. Uh, And so it both got on our bottom sheet, it got on our top sheet, it got on our comforter, and it got on our pillows. It's better than poop. You're right. But not by much. Toothpaste is not, there's nothing that's comfortable about toothpaste. Cleaning it, nothing. And so, I wish I could tell you that my instant reaction when I, wa- when I was walking, I was like, I think, by God's grace, the Spirit of God was prepping me <laughs> as I was walking back, because I think my knee-jerk reaction was to just be mad. And so, I walk back into the room, and I'm like, oh. And then, I look to my right, and here's Oliver standing. He's like, like. kind of like, look what I did, Dad. <laughs> he's like, he's just smirking at me like he just did something that was so amazing. And then I was like, Oliver, no. And then he kind of did this weird thing where he just like, he's still got diapers on, so he just kind of like jumped and landed on his butt and like, just like, and I'm like, I'm really ticked what you just did, but it's like, why am I smiling right now? Like you, you're my son. And yeah, you shouldn't have done that. But there was something about it that I was mad that Keely and I were going to have to wash the, the stuff. <laughs> but there was still something that even in the midst of that, his badness, that because he's my son, I couldn't help but be like, I love you, I still got to teach you and train you not to do this. I mean, I thought it was a win because I didn't throw him out the window. Um, and, but, but there was something in there that even in the badness, and I'm a sinful dad, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a righteous father. I'm not, I'm not like God necessarily. But even in that moment, there was something because of the way that God cares for me and has shown compassion and grace on me. I think that allowed me to look at my son and be real like, this is dumb, but you're my son and I still love you. There is a compassionate and gracious moment there. But I want to ask you guys a question. And again, it's going to be a little bit of discussion time here for a moment. If you think, if and when you think about the way that God feels about you, what are some of the first things that come to mind? If and when you begin to think about the way God feels about you, what are some of the, what are some of the first things? Thoughts that come to your mind with the way that God feels about you? Patient. Patient? Awesome. What else? Really Okay. Forgiving? Yeah. It's good. Disappointed at times? Thank you am like, am I the only one? Somebody please say it. She said disappointed. Anybody else? What do you think God thinks about you? Is it dependent? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, often a view that I have as well. God, how could you care and love somebody like me? <laughs> but still, your first thought is how how amazing that He actually loves me. It's great. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, and and maybe not quite as much anymore. More, but it still does exist in me. There. I feel like God's primary, I used to feel, not not right now, I guess, but I used to feel like God's primary feeling toward me was disappointment and is disappointment. And yet, right here at God's self-disclosure to us, he combats that very thought. That he's compassionate and gracious. Not dependent upon me. Just period. That's who he is. And sometimes the question we have to wrestle with is, do we believe God or not? Do we believe what he said? And I think the majority of the time, for us, the answer is yes, no. Right? Like, yes, I do know it. Like, yes, in theory, but in practice, often I don't. There's a difference, that's right, between the head and the heart. And what's interesting in those moments where generally we make a giant mistake, we tend to throw on a, a view and a lens of God that is not one that God carries. And we tend, because oftentimes the other reality is, do we generally come to God in moments of crisis, moments where we've made a mistake, Oftentimes, people aren't like running to Jesus just like the moment after they get engaged, or the moment after they graduate from high school, or graduate college, or the moment after they buy their first house, or whatever it is. We come to God when we're losing our house. We come to God when we've just, uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, potentially ruined a relationship with our roommate. And so, oftentimes, we come to God in these places where we're actually disappointed with ourselves and we think that God is the same. And hopefully as we go through, we're going to see, that the, man, that's just not how God, that's not who God is. Remember, as we're talking about Yahweh, Yahweh is I will be who I will be. So if God is compassionate, how often is God compassionate? Always, all the time. It's who he is. Again, as we're working through this together, our goal in this time and in this series is to allow God's self-disclosure, revelation of who He is, let that chiefly inform how we view and believe God to be. Okay, so that's raccoon, raccoonin, raccoonin, yeah. Uh, Next, we're going to look at gracious. So these two words are actually couplets. They're paired all together throughout Scripture. And even in Hebrew, they sound familiar. They're rak, 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 rakum and hanun. So rakum and hanun, it sounds uh, like they go together because they do. They're actually like kind of like word plays together. They're couplets. They're found all throughout scripture together. And so this is gracious. What is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And I, I love this this further explanation of of grace, which is is helpful because it moves it from an idea to an action, and that's someone coming to help in a time of trouble. Again, these two words are scattered all throughout Scripture together, and they're rooted here in Exodus 34. So anytime you see compassionate and gracious linked together, know that they find their root in Exodus 34, and that every time a biblical author is using compassionate and gracious, they're also grabbing a hold of this context, of this verse, of God's self-disclosure about himself. So again, sometimes the authors don't use the entire verse altogether, but anytime time you see these linked together, they are going to be linking themselves back to the context. The original listener would have always heard, any time they heard compassionate and gracious, they would be reminded, oh, this is when God disclosed himself to Moses and let us know who and what he was like. We're to do the same thing when we hear it. This is, this is a continual story. It's not separate times that God is compassionate and gracious. It's that God is eternally and forever compassionate and gracious. Okay. So these are splattered all throughout Scripture as couplets. Rakum is a feeling word. So again, rakum is compassionate. Hanun. You guys want to say them with me? Rakum. Rakum. Let's go. Rakum. Rakum. Get the phlegm. And Hanun. Okay. So if rakum is a feeling word, what do you think hanun is? It's an action word. It's an action word. This is incredibly important. Yahweh is describing himself and is saying, not only do I have feelings for you, the fact that I am compassionate and always compassionate, but I'm gracious to you. I have hanun towards you and will act upon my feelings. This is one of the things that makes Yahweh, by and large, so much different. So much more different than one, other gods, and two, humanity. I don't know about you guys, but in our culture, we have so many people who are compassionate or passion-filled for things in our culture, but they do not have kanun attached to it. Meaning they don't have gracious actions to back it up. God has both. Again, a little bit of a a discussion point. What, What sort of things are you or people in our culture compassionate about, but often may not back that up with action? Things are people, and again, when you think of compassion, you can also maybe slash that with passion a little bit. What sort of things do people have a tendency to be compassionate about, but maybe not actions to back them up. Environment. OK. Yeah, for sure. What? The poor. Absolutely. What else? Okay? And would you say that we're in a time and a place where people might have compassion towards those, but they don't have, they're not graciously acting in response to it? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel. Like I love you, but maybe when it comes to gracious acts, those are pretty sparse. The okay, the church, yeah, compassionate about the church, but I'm not graciously acting in it. Maybe there's lots of ton, we could list like a ton of like political hot buttons right here, right? That people could be like, <laughs> we could talk about. What about racial stuff, right, where we're filled with passion or compassion, anger, whatever, and a lot of times there's not a, a grace that's matched with that to act upon. And how do folks generally show their raccoon or the opposite of raccoon or compassion today? Where, where are these generally coming out? Facebook? Twitter, text messages. And what are all of those void of? Okay, they're void of compassion, but what, more than that, what else are they void of? Tone, what? Personal interaction, relationship. And Yahweh is a relational Not a Facebook blaster or tweeter or Twitterer, I don't know how to say it, I don't do it. My last tweet was like seven years ago. But this, I I actually think this is a giant issue in our culture. People will take up causes from afar and become incredibly compassionate. They'll get all worked up, they may even have a great argument on Facebook. But when it comes to the practice side of things, to the gracious side, coming to help someone in time of trouble, it's oftentimes pretty absent. And it does some weird things in us internally. It does some weird things in us that, that, that makes us feel like we're a part of something and it's okay to be a part of something and not graciously or actively, action-wise, be involved and it does this weird thing where it begins to kind of separate our feelings from our actions. and all of a sudden there's this dichotomy and this paradox that begins to exist within our souls. and all of a sudden we be content, we become content about being a people who are filled with compassion or compassionate or passion-filled, and totally comfortable in not acting upon it. And what I want us to see is that that is not our God. Praise the Lord, right? Praise God that he didn't stay off afar and was just compassionate, saying, oh, I feel for you. That's so sad. Oh, my goodness. Like, oh, I'm going to write Herod a letter. Um, like, he, he didn't do that. He did so much more than that, right? He eventually, chiefly, matched compassion and grace in who? Jesus. where Hebrews now tell us that we have somebody who is incredibly compassionate and who can empathize with us, who is our great high priest, who has endured everything under the sun so that he can be even more compassionate. But he just didn't stay compassionate. He did something about it. As he graciously came to the help, not just one, but of the world who were in desperate need of one to make them well. Okay, so God is both one who feels compassion and one who acts graciously. Love this. I want, I want us to look for a moment at the story of Jonah. Again, we want to take a, a, a point of our time each time to walk through another part of the Hebrew Scriptures to kind of show us how these components, which are found in Exodus 34, about God's self disclosure of Himself in other parts of the Hebrew Scripture. And so we're going to look at the story of Jonah for a minute. You can turn to Jonah three, uh, and I'll give us a little bit of background as we're walking up to Jonah three. So in the story of Jonah, uh, we see God call Jonah, who is his a prophet of his, to go to the city of Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire in the eighth in century. No Syria, I don't want you to talk to me. Um, and he is the, in the capital city or excuse me, Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire in the 8th and 9th century BC. They carried Israel or were part of carrying Israel away into exile, and they were an incredibly brutal and violent people. We're talking about people who ruthlessly murdered, raped, pillaged, enslaved, all of that. Many of you remember what happens next after God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh he does the exact opposite and legitimately goes to the last place on the map, like the known map at the time. Tarsus is the last place. It's the furthest place away that you could possibly go. And I don't know if we recognize that. Or, I mean, it's legitimately the last place on the map. It's in Spain, okay? As, as far away as you can get. So as he's running, we know the storm comes. Things get crazy. People are freaking out. And then all of a sudden, Jonah says, oh, this is what happened. They're like, what? And then they throw him over the side of uh, the boat, and instantly the the waves cease. The storm calms, and Jonah is swallowed up by a fish or whale. And then Jonah and God have some time together to work a few things out in the belly, okay? And then Jonah's catapulted out back toward Nineveh where he's going to, in some degree, begrudgingly try and be faithful to what God has said. So let's pick up in Jonah 3, verse 6. It says this. Okay, sorry, the last thing I said is that he's, he needs to bring a message. He's bringing the message that in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, okay? Uh, and so we're picking up after that's been shared. Now in verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, "'covered himself with sackcloth sackcloth, and sat in ashes. "'And he issued a proclamation and and published through Nineveh "'by the decree of the king and his nobles, "'let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. "'Let them not feed or drink water, "'but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth "'and let them call out mightily to God.'" Let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Interesting. Why might they think that they might have a chance? Perhaps the reputation of Yahweh has even gone out to his enemies. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter four, verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew, That you are Exodus 34, 6 and 7, a gracious God and merciful, Hanun and Rakum, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? We'll stop there for now. The entire city of Nineveh repents. We think the revival with Billy Graham was incredible. This is nuts. This city that once led Israel into captivity and abused its people now repents and turns to Yahweh. And Jonah is livid. Why is he mad? Why? Why do you think he's mad? He didn't want to That's right. It's not fair. What do you say? Were you raising your hand? Oh, okay. I'm ready if you are. Yeah. I think most of us, we give Jonah a pretty bad rap because we don't understand what Nineveh was like. We don't know what Nineveh did to Jonah's ancestors personally. We don't know the type of turmoil, hardship, heartache, the stories that have come down from people being tortured, from their identity seemingly being taken away, to people being viewed less than, Jonah's mad. And notice he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Why doesn't he want to go to Nineveh? What does he know? He knows that God is gracious and merciful. When? All the time, always. Why am I running? Not because I'm scared of God, necessarily. I'm scared that God will. I'm scared that God will forgive. I'm scared that God will be gracious. I'm scared that he will be compassionate. So often we are so grateful that God is compassionate and gracious to us. And if we're to be real honest, it's because there's a tiny bit of vanity or maybe a lot that thinks that we're actually sort of deserving of that compassion and grace. Sometimes, not always. But the point where this becomes, the, the place where it reveals in our lives are when we're faced with Jonah moments like this. What do we do when God shows compassion and grace on those you hate? And if we don't celebrate, That's going to show us inside, in our core, there's bits and pieces of us that think that we deserve God's compassion and grace better than, or more than the next. And again, this is, again, the difference between heart and head, right? Most of us in our head, we would say, no, that's not true. We all deserve God's grace. We all are undeserving of God's grace. But what about... I think it's easy when it's far off. It's like, oh, what if a terrorist came to know Jesus? We'd celebrate. Oh, man, thank you for showing your grace and compassion on that person. But what if the person who raped your cousin came to know Jesus? Or what about the person who abused their child? There's bits and pieces of us that sometimes are, we're, we're we are slow to celebrate the compassion and grace that God has for those that we hate. Are there people in your life that you'd be ticked if God showed his grace and compassion on? Are there people in your life that God is willing to show compassion and grace to that you're not. And all I wanted us to do in all of this, I I just want us to be asking the question. I I want us to be entering into that space. Because again, what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to understand who God has revealed himself to be. And a long time ago, we we helped kind of give us a rubric as we're studying scripture questions that are really, really important to ask as we're studying God's word, and that's who is God? What has he done in Jesus? Who am I? How now should I live? And that's going to be important as we are walking through this together. So here in the story of Jonah, we get to see that God continues to be compassionate and gracious. He doesn't just feel He acts upon it, and he sends people in a time of need to help. (laughs) So we see that in the Hebrew Scriptures. Let's let's move into the New Testament here. Um, Am I lost on time? Are we supposed to be done in 15 minutes? Oh, dear. Well, this is going to be fast. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I want us to look at the story of the prodigal son really fast. Okay? Here, this story, oftentimes we look at uh, the two sons that are involved, this story actually is less about the two sons and it's way more about the father. This is Jesus speaking and he is giving us insight of what the father is like. He's giving us insight, this is Jesus' understanding of what Yahweh is like. Many of you are familiar with the story, we have the younger son who asks his dad to die and to give him his stuff early and so he goes and runs off for the proverbial money, sex, power, worldliness, all of those things. He spends all of his inheritance, he winds up in the worst situation ever, legitimately eating food with the pigs, and he is uh, down in the dumps, legitimately, and he knows that he would be better off as a servant in his father's care. And so he comes back, and again, all of this, this story is to help us get a picture of what Yahweh is like, and this is Jesus speaking, and so here he goes in verse 20 of Luke 15. And he, the son, arose, that's the younger son, and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and left. <clears throat> Excuse me, his sorry, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Rakum. And then he acted and ran. This would be undignified for a father to do embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, almost interrupting him, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Again, this is grace. This is Hanun. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. This is Jesus getting his listeners to understand who Yahweh is, what he's like. He is Rachum and Hanun. He is compassionate and gracious. He saw his son far off, and he ran. He felt compassion, and that compassion led him to action. And he runs towards his son, which would be totally undignified for a father to do. And in grace, he puts his best robe upon him. And in grace, he throws an incredible feast for his son. He doesn't just feel for him, but he does something about rescuing him in a time of need. That is who our God is. What's sad in the latter part of the story is that the older son is ticked off, kind of like Jonah. He's ticked off that the younger son is is receiving compassion and grace. He thinks his brother is undeserving of it. But the reality is all of us are undeserving of God's compassion and grace. And when we understand that, when we continue to understand it, that's the, one of the only things that makes it easy to give away. Is if we consistently and regularly understand, like Paul says, that he is a chief of sinners and he is undeserving of of the calling. He is undeserving of the grace. He is undeserving of the compassion. So many of us need this reminder that this is who our God is, that he's not just a God that feels compassionate, but he's a God who feels compassionate and does something about it. And of course, this is chiefly demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Yahweh come down. God is so compassionate and gracious toward us that he dies in our place. That we might be brought back into right relationship with our relational Yahweh. (laughs) Here's the deal though. He invites us to carry on these characteristics too. To imitate him in this. This is the ultimate role of a disciple is to imitate their rabbi. And Jesus shows us compassion and grace in the flesh. And in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most challenging call that Jesus gives his followers is found in the section where, where Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And at the end of that section, he gives maybe the most challenging command there is. In Luke 6, 36, He says, be merciful, or be rachum as your father is merciful. Yes, in this series, we're learning about who God is. But we're not just learning about it so that we might have new cool information, or even just new ways to relate to God, which those are all wonderful. Wonderful. But part of this is we're also learning that God is not something to be selfish about, but one and somebody who we are supposed to pass on to others. And it's not an easy task. You and I, we are his sons and daughters. He has shown us his Rakum and hanun, and we have tasted it, we have seen it, we have experienced it, and it's our responsibility as his sons and daughters, as his heirs, ones who have inherited compassion, and grace, to pass that along. That's hard. How much is God gracious and compassionate? Always, all the time? And that's an invitation for us to actually be the same way. That's, re- that's really hard. Or some might say impossible, right? And so thank goodness we have reminders and encouragements like from Paul in Colossians 3 when he says this in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Paul says, put on. This isn't something that just happens, and worship team, come on up. This isn't just something that happens overnight. I don't get up out of bed, and magically, all of a sudden, I have a fresh pair of jeans on and a fresh nice shirt on. I have to put them on. If I don't, I won't be ready to answer the door, or if I do, somebody will be awfully surprised. I won't be ready for the meeting that I'm about to have. I need to put on my clothing. And in the same way, there's this invitation from Paul and from God himself every day to put on compassion. Because as ones who have received rakum and Hanun, we need to be ones who also release it, display it. But we can't do that on our own. Because guess what, I have a limit to my <laughs> rakum and my hanoon. <laughs> There's only so much I can give away, right? There's only so many times where I can be like, oh Oliver, it's cute, you did the thing on the bed with the to- toothpaste again. Wow. Hmm really proud of you, son. I, I, no, I can't, we can't do that. There's, there's a limited amount to my supply. But you know who there's not a limited amount with? Yahweh. For he will be who he will be. There is an eternal source of compassion and grace in which Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. If we're to put on compassion and grace, we need to be spending time with the source, Yahweh, our eternal relational God who never, ever stops being compassionate and never, ever stops being gracious and never, ever stops giving you extra so that you can do the same. So Father, Father, We come to you, and I love it, like the leper comes to you, I think in Luke 19, and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on us. And we thank you that we don't have to beg you to be merciful, because that's who you are. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to work as we respond. God, we ask that even in this sensitive time in our county that you would be shaping in us a willingness and a desire to show compassion and grace, both of them, to people who are hurting, who ultimately need to know that the eternal Yahweh is always compassion, always gracious, and doesn't run out of supply. Thank you for being an incredible God. We give you this time as we continue to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.